Hey everyone, I'm here with Lucas Allen, and we're going to be talking about testosterone, nootropics, and a bunch of other good topics. Lucas is one of uh, Australia's top biohackers. I would say he's the top biohacker in Australia. He specializes in men's health, and I want to get his in, his insights on what he does to be optimal. And he's also done a lot of research as well in the area. So not only does he try things on out on himself, he also knows what he, he does the research as well, which is important. So let's go into that. Let's get into what made you get into healthcare. Yeah, I guess um, my journey really started out just being really fascinated with the human body. And I actually played um, professional soccer for a number of years. And um, I just fell in love with the whole idea that you can um, hijack and harness and manipulate various pathways within the body. Just a deep fascination with um, enzymes, receptors, neurotransmitters, hormones. Um, and then from there, I started studying naturopathy. So I'm a fully qualified naturopath, four years of study. Um, and then I had some experience in my dad's pharmacy. So I worked in the pharmacy, saw sort of, saw, you know, how Western medicine treats or well, manages disease. I wouldn't say um, treats disease. Um, and then I guess from there, I just fell in love with um, specifically like men's health, testosterone optimization and uh, nootropics. And then from there, just, just a, a pure passion. Okay, but you didn't have any health issues getting into it, correct? Um, well, I mean, I did suffer from like acid reflux heartburn in which I was actually prescribed um, proton pump inhibitors from a very young age. Um, and that's like, okay. that probably piqued my curiosity and I knew like these medications were doing more harm than good. Um, and then I figured out, you know, I was able to use certain herbs to actually overcome that. And then eventually I didn't need anything to resolve my reflux. Okay. But well, overall, you were just trying to improve your athletic performance, your cognitive health, your, you wanted to be better rather than you had some specific issue that you wanted to fix. Yeah, I would say so. I was always looking for like, um, just taking things to another level. Like even with studying for university, I was like, I had a pretty good memory whilst I was studying. I was pretty I was a fairly, you know, a good student early on. Um, but I think leveraging the power of like nootropics, leveraging all of the other biohacks, you know, that took me from like, I would say like a B plus student into like, I guess like an A plus student. I got it. Okay. Sounds good. So tell me about some of the top nootropics that you take and how they impact you. Yeah. So I'd, I'd start out with one that has the biggest impact on my um, ability to just focus and get things done. And that for me is uridine monophosphate. Um, and I, I keep talking about it because it's something that has like the deepest level of impact as far as my, um, the way that I perceive work, it alters my perception of work and wanting to like get things done. So it turns me, it basically eliminates uh, procrastination and I have some suspicions as to how it's actually working and what it's doing in the brain. And I, I do believe it's coming down to its modulatory effect on the dopamine D2 receptors. Um, it's strengthening, it's upregulating these D2 receptors. And I've taken a deep dive into like some of the functions and, and um, how these particular receptors play out and how they affect behavioral um, behaviors, attitudes, and thoughts. And for me, what I find uridine at a dosage of around 100 milligrams to about 150 milligrams, that's orally, like not sublingually, um, for me, will just, you know, turn the lights on, eliminate brain fog and sort of just get me in, in the zone. Interesting. Have you looked at your genetics to see how your DARD2 receptors are doing, your dopamine receptors? I do recall seeing some weird variation, not with the D2 receptor, but actually the D3 and D5. Um, now, I know a lot, there's a lot of crossover between, there's a lot of crosstalk between the dopamine receptors, but yeah, I think there was like some polymorphism associated with like the D3 and the D5 receptors. Okay. 
that's that's a place where genetics could be very good, of course, because there's no way that you're going to do a blood test to see what your DRD2 receptor is like, right? So yeah, yeah. I, I think when it comes to doing these kinds of biohacks and say, hey, I, I like uridine, because I actually don't notice any big impact from uridine. But now that you're mentioning it, I'm probably going to try it again. But I would like to see, you know, if, if I'm, you know... I guess you have to understand how you want to use it. If you don't know what you're looking for sometimes, then it, it's just going to be different. So if you're telling me that you're mainly using it for stopping procrastination, then that's something that I would look at more closely. Hmm. Uh, but I would also want to see, you know, what genetic predispositions is it overcoming? What negative genetic predispositions is it overcoming? Because I don't know if that's going to help everybody necessarily overcome yeah. procrastination let's say yeah yeah and that's uh that's where i think like the whole um that whole area of like customization and personalization like building out custom nootropic stacks and tailoring it based on your genetic profile plus uh, like an additional like questionnaire survey like merging that data that will give you the best bang for buck and yeah really just like maximize and leverage the most out of these nootropics what so the the uridine? Let's get back to uridine. You're saying that it helps with procrastination, and what else do you take it for? Is it just that one thing? Uh, no, there's another application for it. Um, the other application that I like about it is that it obviously strengthens like um, neurite outgrowth, so that's going to help facilitate better memory performance, and then also um, it acts as a precursor to increase phosphatidylcholine. Now I've compared. I've compared taking phosphatidylcholine to uridine um, and there's a clear difference. Uh, uh, like the stimulatory effects of uridine at a very low dose, because by the way, uridine has a like a weird paradoxical dosage curve where at higher doses, like anything above, I would say for anything above 500 milligrams actually makes me sleepy and it can actually induce um, deep sleep or it can reinforce and strengthen deep sleep. So um, whereas at a very low dose, like anything sub 150 milligrams can actually elicit like a potent stimulatory effect. Interesting. I mean, I've taken uridine for years. I stopped in the last couple of years because the way I do it, it now is a little different than how I did it before. For everything that I take, there has to be at least five different reasons why I'm taking it, generally speaking. And it, there has to be reasons. A reason could be either to optimize a lab result that is causing some issue or, you know, that, that has some risk in the long term. It could be for a genetic predisposition or it could just be, you know, an, another reason obviously is like I have about 10 different goals that I'm trying to optimize. Uridine, I didn't notice any acute effects on it and – Yes, it increases neuride outgrowth, but the question that I would have is how does how is uridine going to be better than something like nutritional yeast, which has uridine in it? This is something that I also questioned as well, and I was like wondering why doesn't nutritional yeast elicit the same like cognitive benefit? And I tried obviously playing around because I know nutritional yeast is a, a good source of uridine. Um well, I, I'd imagine it comes down to like bioavailability aspect and then also potentially like the way in which the body handles uridine when it's in isolated form versus like the whole package, which is like in brewer's yeast or nutritional yeast. Um, but yeah, I guess like as far as the subjective feel, like when I, because I tried a bunch of, like just like yourself, Joe, like <laughs> I experimented with tons of different compounds and different nootropics, but for me, it was like, I found my perfect match. It's almost like I was, you know, I was on Tinder and scrolling. I found the perfect match, you know, um, uridine right. is the perfect fit. <laughs> that's, that's very interesting. And that's kind of what this podcast is about because I actually, it's, it's not the perfect match for me, but, I like hearing from people what the perfect match for them is. And then I try to understand why it's the perfect match for them, why it's not working for me. And I trust people when they say something works for them. I generally think it, it does work for them, especially 
when if you say something, you're testing things. I think pretty rigorously. You're you're taking in large dosages. You're taking in isolation. You're doing research on it. So I think I, I definitely trust that it's helping you. And I just want to know exactly why that is and why it's I'm not having the same effect because I've tried it in a bunch of different ways. I'm going to try it again just because, you know, I, I like what you said about procrastination, but I mean, I've tried it for sleep also. And I, I haven't, in, in terms of the neurite outgrowth, what is it actually growing? Because I, I don't feel like it's increasing BDNF more than some other things increase BDNF, right? So what kind of neurite outgrowth is that? Yeah, well, this is related to, I guess, because there's some similar research um, that uridine can strengthen nerve growth factor secretion as well. Um, I'd imagine that due to its effect on improving like phosphatidylcholine levels, improving cell membrane fluidity and um, these sort of pathways, I guess like that's really like the, we can, we can frame this conversation around the, the cornerstone, the, the, um, the master product that uridine was built around, it was actually a product called Suvenade, um, which was studied in um, uh, early stages of Alzheimer's disease. And they combined uridine with high-dose B vitamins, omega-3s, like super high-dose EPA, DHA. Um, and because uridine ramps up, um, it increases the requirements of B6, B9, B12, that formula there is actually technically known as the Mr. Happy Stack. Um, and that Mr. Happy Stack is, you know, it's a stack that, that, you know, uridine has some research in bipolar. It's been used to stabilize um, emotions and mood in bipolar. Um, but I mean, I, I personally haven't been diagnosed with bipolar, um, but I still get a very favorable response. And what dosage are you taking of it? Anything sub 150 milligrams. So um, sometimes I'll just take like maybe 100 milligrams because I'm using, I've got micro scales, but anything between 100 to 150 milligrams works well for me. And if you take more, you find you get sleepy? Yeah, anything above like 300 to 500 milligrams, there's, it's, there's no point. Like I don't, I don't feel good, particularly if I eat eggs as well. Like if I'm combining eggs, which is another choline source, and if you just go over the board, like I've, I know what excess acetylcholine feels like. Um, and that's also not a fun state to be in as well. Interesting. So you find that it increases acetylcholine? Yeah. I mean, uridine strengthening um, phosphatidylcholine, pool, like the pool, total pool of phosphatidylcholine. Um, and it also, there's also another part of uridine. It actually gets converted into CDP choline or citicholine. So that's why some people like would prefer to take like CDP choline instead of uridine because um, they can sort of, they're sort of interchangeable, but I've, tr again, like I tried CDP choline, but it also, it just didn't have the same effect as uridine. Interesting. And mm. uh, what was the highest dosage you took of uridine? Uh, I played around with 750 milligrams. Um, okay which is, I think that's the dose that they use in the bipolar, like in bipolar studies. So pretty high, high doses. Okay. I, I think I've taken about a gram of it before as like a mega dosing experiment. Uh, I don't know. I forgot exactly, but I, I took a lot of it to see. I don't, I just didn't notice any strong effects from it, but I, I think this is one thing that is highly dependent on your body and what it needs. It could be that you're, you're genetically predisposed to having less of something that it really helps mm. for. Let's, let's move on from uridine and, and just actually to close that out, I, I assume you take DHA with it, fish oil. Yeah, uh, well, at, at, at the beginning of my experimentation, I was combining it with like a really high quality DHA EPA. But what I found over time was that I no longer needed the fish oil component. I could get away with just eating a bunch of salmon or some seafood and still get a good okay. response. So, yeah. The Joe Cohen Show is unsullied by paid sponsors. 
Similar to Self Decode, I'm creating this podcast to help educate and empower people with their health. I'm reaching out to all types of biohackers, health practitioners, entrepreneurs, and more to give you the most valuable information out there. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please show some support and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to get notified on every new podcast release. What about, okay, so that's your D and that's, is that, so I'm assuming that's your favorite nootropic or one of the, one of the top ones. It is, it is, it is one of my favorites. It's probably like up there with like top three biggest impact factor. If we were to like rank it as far as like impact factor, the second to that would actually be one from Russia, which when I tried a number of years ago, are you familiar with bromantane? Yeah. 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 I have bromantane. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, that that one there uh, for me that was also packed a punch, but it was a very it was a very delayed punch. It was like six hours after dosing. I remember the very day that I first dosed. I, re- I remember going to the library, and I remember thinking like I got some bunk or some fake romantine because I was like, you know, I don't feel anything. But then after like four to six hours later after dosing, I was like okay, now I think I'm feeling the effects. Like, cause I was in the library and I was like, okay, I'm going to head back home. How much were you taking? I only took, uh, like 20 milligrams, which is okay. the recommended dosage is 50, but I took less right. cause I'm always like, I'm, <laughs> I'm always a less is more guy, um, with, with okay. dosing. <laughs> um, and that no, was, I think the 50 is way too much, by the way. I've, yeah. It comes in 50. I take, when I take it even, it's very strong. It's, yeah. I, I find, I notice an impact after an hour or, or something like that. And uh, it's very strong and it lasts for a long time. You could feel yeah. it for, I don't know, 16 hours or whatever it is. But uh, I, I, I bought it initially a long time ago and then I stopped because I was like, this is, I, I, I think the mistake that I made was that I was, taking the wrong dosage and i just you know since it was a drug i was just like i'm not you know i'm not gonna do it but then i decided let me see what happens at different doses and i found that even like five milligrams was something that i could notice maybe five ten milligrams had a good impact i still don't know how i'm gonna going to put it in my regimen but it, it is something that increases dopamine uh, pretty reliably. The tyrosine hydroxylase, it increases that. And especially if you have certain genetic variants that are decreasing your tyrosine hydroxylase, that could be a a very good thing. Um, But it it is a drug. People need to be aware of that. And it's not really regulated at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So tell me what impacts you. Yeah. Well, the subjective response, like for me is like, so I, like I said, I, was, I went to the library, did some studying for like four hours. And then like after four to five hours, I was like, I noticed usually there is a typical, like I do drop off after four hours of like heavy focus. Like there is a bit of a drop off, like naturally. But I remember that day when I, when I came back home to, the, I, I was like, you know, I'm going to go down to the playground and do, do like a workout. I'm going to go do some chin-ups um, and see how I feel like subjectively. Now I know a lot of that would have been like placebo because I was like excited because I'm like I just took a synthetic adaptogen from Russia and I, and I know the military uses bromantane like this is um, some powerful stuff. Um, but I remember like that particular workout, like I was, I felt like euphoric, um, and I remember actually thinking like this is this is a little bit above. Um, it was way above what I'd consider like a normal positive mood. It was like ecstatic, hyper elated mood. And I was like a little bit concerned because I was like, okay, well, let's see how I sleep tonight. Let's see how I feel tomorrow morning. I remember that night I slept like four hours and the following day I was up early and super hyper, like hyper man. I was literally hyper manic. And I remember feeling like um, just overly excited and happy for no reason. Um, and just like overly energetic, super confident, very talkative. Um, and then I was like, yeah, I, I didn't redose. Um, cause I, I knew 
you got to like, I got to be careful here sort of thing. That's one of the things that I'm worried about with bromantane is how it impacts sleep. And that's mm. kind of what I'm experimenting with. And I've, I also feel like if you're introducing drugs for me personally, right? I, it's the last thing I want to do. So I'm right now making changes to my regimen, the bromantane, I have it around, but I feel like as long as I'm making changes, I want it to be in addition to all the things that I'm doing rather than I, I see it as like caffeine, caffeine yeah. or, or some kind of, you know, it's a drug, right? Or caffeine or something that is not natural and it's going to take you to a different level. But I, I feel like you want to use it. I, I don't want to use it as a daily thing. But the question is, so how am I exactly going to use it? What exact situations am I going to be using this drug? So you tell me, do you use it daily, first of all? Uh, I actually don't use it at all anymore, like at all. Because okay. I, I like that, yeah, like that okay. desired state, like I don't need to ever be, like that's just over the top for me, for my constitution, like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't even need it. So why anymore. is it your top if, if you don't take it then? Just you're saying in general. I'm saying like it's top based on like impact factor. So like impact okay. factor was very high. Um, same with like urine. But like since, well, since I've learned about so many other biohacks, like I, I don't need as many compounds these days. Like I'm just adhering to like specific training protocols, doing my 20,000 steps, knowing how to eat well, knowing how to sleep well. Um, and yeah. So we're, I think we're the same in that regard because that's exactly what I was saying is that I don't, I want to make sure that I'm doing all the basics first and then I could see where does this fit into my life. And, and I've been doing that slowly kind of using it here and there to see where does it fit in, but I don't want it to artificially increase my energy levels just by increasing dopamine and then, you know, if you just increase dopamine and you're more energetic, you're you're also going to crash if your mitochondria is not up to speed, if your core health is not up to speed. And obviously, if it's impacting your sleep at all, that's not a good thing. So I want to make sure that it's being used in a way that doesn't impact me negatively in any way. And for me, that might be taking five milligrams, which is one-tenth, say it's a microdose <laughs> of uh it's a mini dose of you know this this drug once a week twice a week whatever whatever i decide to do in the long term but mm. you don't feel like uh you ever want to use it you feel like you just cut it out completely uh, to be honest no like what i'll do now is i'll literally take sublingual l-phenylalanine and that will give me like it will give me like a snippet of like what bromantane can offer I'll just literally, I got it right there at my desk here. Actually, before this, I just like put some phenylalanine powder on my finger, put it under my tongue, uh, like sub sublingually. And that's enough to give me like a bit of a stimulatory effect, which I know, you know, it's very controlled. It's an amino acid. I'm not, I'm not worried about side effects. Like I don't have phenylketonuria. Like I don't have to worry about any of that. It's an essential amino acid. So again, the body knows how to handle it. Um, but How does it going, taste? That taste, it's like a, um, how would I describe the taste? It's like, um, hmm, almost like grainy slash like, um, like if you were to lick like a balloon, that, that taste. Okay. But does it taste bad? No, I mean, it's, no, it's, it's not. It's kind of neutral. Super, yeah. Yeah. It's not like NAC or anything. <laughs> nah. No, no, no. Cysteine or methionine, yeah. The sulfur ones are, the yeah. sulfur amino acids are pretty bad. Why don't you take L-tyrosine instead of L-phenylalanine? Because uh, I want the, uh, the L-phenylalanine to go more towards the PEA pathway as well. Because I know it can go down, because a little bit of the L-phenylalanine does get converted into the um, phenethylamine. Um, so I probably get that initial like chocolate mood boost feeling when I take it, like uplifting mood. Um, but tyrosine, uh, tyrosine gives me the same stimulatory effects. Um, 
But I don't know. I just it's like I would rather start further back in the chain. Alphenylalanine's an essential amino acid. Tyrosine's not. So I'd rather take the essential amino acid. That's just my logic. But going back to can we just go like back to you mentioned like the microdosing aspect, like microdosing five milligrams of bromantine. Have you seen the research on um long lasting super sensitivity of dopamine receptors by microdosing um amphetamines like dexamphetamine no i haven't seen anything like that oh man like very micro like there's studies in monkeys where like rhesus rhesus monkeys where they give them they'll microdose um dexamphetamine and there's like a 36 month long super sensitivity of the dopamine receptors so it can like chronically like or semi-permanently um upregulate dopamine receptor sensitivity from my, like really low dose. Have you tried that yourself? No, no, no. I'm too, no, no, no. I, I'm not going to be the guinea pig. Not me. Well, I, I mean, people take large doses of amphetamines. So I think I, I try, I don't do well with amphetamines. Doesn't, doesn't work for me, even low doses, but I haven't taken like micro doses. I, I took five milligrams of, forgot what it was uh something like ritalin or something just to see what it was like it didn't work for me like the way the way i'd imagine it and this obviously is not medical advice guys don't don't do this at home but like it'd be like drop a five milligram um tablet of dexamphetamine in water let's say like 100 mil of water let it dilute um and then just literally taking and this should be for like a naive like a like a virgin someone who's never used it or someone who's not using it, like to then just take a one-tenth of a sip of that water and just that's it. And then just observe how you feel the next few days. Interesting. Okay. Have you known anyone who's done that, that it's worked on? Uh, this is the first public, uh, this is the first podcast that I've ever mentioned it on. So, okay. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So, yeah, I mean, dopamine is quite an interesting topic because, at least for me, it really is based on your genetics and how your neurochemistry is, is built because I don't do well on amphetamines. I don't do well on uh, what what other dopamine stuff. I, I don't do well on modafinil, stuff like that, It it and, and L-dopa. So those three things very much increase dopamine. Yet bromantane has a very different effect. So it doesn't increase dopamine directly it more like increases the enzyme that increases dopamine so it's it's more like a a steady kind of slight increase in dopamine whereas these other things i think is like a rapid more rapid increase you take l-dopa you take uh, amphetamines it's, it's a much more rapid increase and i think the rapid increase is where you also get the equal and opposite negative effect from not having it so then all of a sudden you get this low, uh, and so then that's what really causes an you know uh, an addiction or uh, dependence. That's a, it's a better word for being mm-hmm. on these stimulants, and so that's why I'm not a big fan of of those things that rapidly increase dopamine. Whereas things like psychedelics, they I feel like it's more of a longer lasting increase in dopamine. The way that it's doing it, so. I tend to do well on things that increase dopamine in a longer type of way uh, rather than a short spike. And so things even like cocaine, it's a short spike. I don't, I don't like it. Uh, whereas the things that do it in, in a more sustained way seem to do, I, I seem to do much better on that. What's your take yeah. on that? I'm in the exact same boat. Like uh, I, I totally, I feel I, the way I view dopamine and the way that I want to increase it is the exact same rationale. Like it's all about sustainability, long-term increases without flooding and without causing massive downregulation of receptors. Cause like, yeah, what's the, like, what's the point in taking a compound that can immediately spike dopamine to then feel below like 50 percent below baseline the following day for me it's like no it's not worth it like i'd rather leverage things that 
semi-permanently support dopamine synthesis so that like your baseline level is actually slowly increasing, not a massive spike followed by a massive drop off. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. Yeah. I think exercise is also one of those good things that reliably increases dopamine, but doesn't do it in a way that you're like, Oh, I exercised today. And then five hours later, you're like, Oh, I got an exercise crash. No, it doesn't happen. You can get, Caffeine crashes, maybe, right? I, I feel like caffeine is somewhere in the middle of that. It increases it, but it, you know, it, it, it's not as bad. It's somewhere in the middle, right? And it's kind of like I, I'm careful about that because you, there is a crash, and uh, and and people do get addicted, right? They they get a dependence. I, I don't know if I like even the word addicted. It, what I see is it's a dependence, and that can cause an addiction. Dependence mm. is like a a pre stage for addiction. Uh, most people are not getting addicted per se, but they are getting a dependence first and then eventually they can get addicted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also feel the same way about caffeine. Like for me, the only time that I'll ever, ever sort of leverage caffeine will be if there's like a really physically demanding day. For example, if I like, I, if I specifically like am training legs, like a super heavy leg workout, where I know my CNS is going to be destroyed. Um, or for example, I'm trying to break a record for like a 4k time, four kilometer run or a three kilometer run. Caffeine will absolutely, or like, let's say, cause I've been recently, I've been using the, um, the ergo rower machine. So I've been doing a lot of, um, rowing workouts. I've been doing like specifically only like 10, one minute bouts. So I've been doing like 10, one minute efforts on the rower. Um, as like, that's it as hard as I can for one minute, um, each, each time. And then like a two minute rest between sets. And for me like that, that will improve my mood, my mental clarity for like 48 hours after one session. Uh, as we spoke, I ordered some uridine and L-phenylalanine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, <laughs> true biohacker. I already have L tyrosine. I didn't take L phenylalanine because I feel like I get a lot of protein in general. So I'm not yeah. a big fan of taking L tyrosine or L phenylalanine. But, and I experimented with it a while ago and I didn't notice any significant impact, but I didn't really experiment in the way that I should. And so I bought L tyrosine again to really do more rigorous experiments. It just kept on getting pushed down. Uh, I have like a, a list of like a hundred <laughs> experiments that I'm going to do and I got to figure out what do I do first here. But uh, L-phenylalanine and uridine are, are back on the experiment list. So we'll see how nice. those do. So tell me more about what your, what, what other some uh, top biohacks are. So like, I guess like one thing that I'm pretty well known for is like the testosterone optimization, the natural testosterone optimization department. Um, yeah, I actually just got my test re evaluated like two weeks ago. And this was after I was away in Europe. I was actually doing a big tour, um, just, you know, recreational, just enjoying myself, traveling Europe, you know, doing Greece, Italy, Spain, different, different countries. Um, and my diet across Europe was atrocious because like, I mean, I'm, I'm traveling. I want to enjoy pizza. I want to enjoy pasta. I was literally, there was no, there was no diet in Europe. It was just like, um, enjoy and just, you know, see how you go. I was fine. Obviously I, I, I was fine because I knew how to like undo some of the damage with taking certain compounds, like using lots of GDAs. I was taking quite a lot of metformin as well, like to offset, um, what's GDAs? Uh, glucose disposal agents. So okay. like um, um, cinnamon, things like that. Uh, but yeah, as far as like the, the hormone optimization goes, um, I'm like, I, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't say I'm like hyper focused on just testosterone. Cause I understand the importance of the neurosteroids, um, and also like DHT and things like that. But 
Yeah, I mean, I've played around with a bunch of things really for testosterone optimization. And yeah, my levels are consistently in the upper 900s, which it sounds like a lot, but it's actually not. Because like, if you look back 50 years ago, I mean, you, you know the data as well. Male testosterone levels are on a massive decline. So like, I would say like my, my levels are like considered normal. But for the average guy today, like they're struggling to get above 400, 500 naturally. Um, so, yeah. And why do you think that is? Uh, like various, various factors, obviously like toxins in our environment, um, sedentary behavior, obesity, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, vitamin deficiencies, t- um, lack of sunlight exposure. Like these are all critical critical factors and then just also like yeah really poor lifestyle choices stress blue light artificial light exposure is there clear research that shows sun exposure increases testosterone so there's very clear research as far as um sun exposure affecting um androsterone, which is, um, a, 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 a pheromone. It's like a, it's not a pheromone. It's actually a precursor hormone that goes down a backdoor pathway to increase DHT. So there is research that if, you know, men expose their chest and back to the sun, not only are they going to boost their vitamin D levels, which just by correcting vitamin D levels, we can, we, you know, that, that obviously has a beneficial effect. Um, but as far as like sunning your balls, I literally just filmed like sunning your testes. I, I just finished filming a video on YouTube. It's not live yet. Um, but my stance here is two to three seconds per session, not like 15 minutes in the sun. Two to three seconds of, of tanning your balls. Yeah. Okay. And is that something that there's research to show if you tan your balls, you're going to your testosterone is going to increase or is that something that you've noticed based on doing it? Or what's the evidence that if you tan your balls, your testosterone is going to increase. And also I thought before I thought we were talking about just getting sun in general, is it getting sun in general going to increase your testosterone or does it have to be on your balls? So first of all, to answer the first part of this would be if you have low vitamin D getting sun exposure anywhere on your body will increase vitamin D levels, which will have, it's usually positively associated with higher testosterone. Um, we've seen studies where they correct vitamin D deficiency, whether that be through sunlight or supplementation. I personally think sunlight is much far superior to um, supplementation. Um, that's going to have a positive effect. Then the human study that, was released looking at um, ultraviolet UV light exposure to the testes. It was a study done in nineteen like back in the nineteen thirties, um, where they looked at androsterone, androsterone secretion, and sunning of the balls, or UV exposure to the balls actually led to a spike in uh, androsterone levels above baseline. Interesting. Okay. And, and what kind of study was that? Was uh, that a double-blind placebo-controlled trial or? It was a pathetic, pathetic study. I mean, it's, yeah, okay. it, it, it needs to be repeated. So if we can fund it, let's, let's, let's organize a study. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm, I, I have seen studies uh, that also, uh, you, like uh, light, including UV light, will increase testosterone. Right. So I think that's something, and I think, like you said, some that has to do with vitamin D, uh, it could be also directly as well, more directly, not through vitamin D. So I think that's something that's good. I wonder what do we, how do we know that shining our balls with UV light <laughs> is going to increase testosterone? And, and let me give you the background for this because I like everything that I do. I like there to be many reasons. I like there to be a noticeable impact. I want to check my lab marker, right? So if I see, hey, I've been tanning my balls, I check my lab marker and my testosterone went up and then I stopped tanning my balls and went down. And then I I can also 
see how I feel from it. And then, you know, I, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I, or if there's a very, very good study done and says, hey, there's this number of people, this is exactly what happened to their testosterone level, then that's something that I'm going to give it more of a try. But if it's just, uh, you know, <laughs> bro science or bromeopathy, that's what I'm trying to understand. Is this bromeopathy or is this is this something that is legit? I've never heard that term. Uh, I've heard of bro science, but bromeopathy. Did you just invent that term now? No, I heard it somewhere. Yeah. Bromeopathy. Like it's it. funny. Um, to be honest, I mean, I would say that 1930 study is very weak, and there there is no human study directly correlating sun like how are they going to do this sort of study like there is no human study that looks at sun exposure to the human testes they can do it in rats pretty easily but like in humans there is no there is no study but based upon the research on like red light therapy facilitating better atp production in the lading cells supporting lading cell function looking at the research into melanocyte stimulating hormone, which is involved in arousal, reproduction, libido, and looking at the research associating uh, sunlight exposure, nitric oxide production, and nitric oxide's involvement in um, GnRH secretion and luteinizing hormone production, it would only make sense that, hey, maybe there is some degree of merit associated with sun exposure directly to the gonads. But then you got this whole other side of the argument, which is like, um, well, the skin, the scrotal skin is still susceptible to sunburn as well. Um, how likely is it that that area is more prone to like skin cancer? Um, that's, that's the other argument. Then, then you got the guys that'll be like, oh, that's fine. Let's just apply sunscreen to your testes. And then I'm like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Like, do not apply sunscreen to your balls. You're going to oh, lower your the, It's the UV. It's the UV that's doing it, if anything. Yeah, exactly. So you don't want to apply sunscreen. And I guess that's also, that's important to say in general, because, you know, a lot of people think they're being very healthy by putting on sunscreen. And it's something to understand that there are some benefits to putting on sunscreen, right? I think it definitely protects against wrinkles. However, and it, you know, it could protect against some kinds of skin cancer and, and some other skin damage. However, there's a lot of negatives to doing it. I think that's what people have to realize. And whether you put it on or not is going to depend on many factors, including how long are you outside? What is your skin tone like? What are your health goals like? You know, if you have both of your parents got skin cancer, then maybe you should be more careful, right? Or if you have a genetic predisposition uh, for skin cancer, maybe you should be more careful. And so there's kind of like a lot of questions. It's something that I don't take a, a too strong of a stance on. So I, whether the bottom line is whether you put on sunscreen for you is going to be dependent on your genetic predisposition and many other factors. And so I don't have a very clear advice on that, but people need to realize that there is a negative to wearing sunscreen, and there's many benefits to not wearing it. For example, studies show that sexual attraction and libido actually increases when you're exposed to sun, and that is partly through the UVB. So if you're blocking UVB, you're going to get less of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I see a lot of people doing is they're wearing sunglasses outside, they're wearing sunscreen, and they're basically saying, I'm going to stop most of the all the benefits because the benefits are from uvb UV, uv in general including uva and uvb it's from the different spectrums of light uh, so it's it's from the light going to your eyes and it's from the sun hitting your skin and when people are going out they're saying okay i'm going to black out the light from my eyes i'm going to black out the uv from my skin and uh how you know i'm going to be very healthy now there's still some health benefits in getting fresh air and just being outside, I think even with sunglasses, you're still getting, you might be getting more light than you're getting inside. I'm not, I'm not sure even, but it's just, uh, to me, it seems odd. And when you look at the research, the interesting thing is that 
when they do these studies about people who get the more UV people are exposed to, the lower risk they are for a bunch of other cancers rather than skin cancer. I think skin cancer, they might be a little higher risk, but you know, when you're talking about the bigger killers, breast cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer, your risk actually decreases. So I'm not saying there's no harms uh, to sun. I think a lot of biohackers look very old because they, get, they don't wear sunscreen. And so they get a lot of wrinkles, just to, just to be very honest. But I also think there's ways to counteract it that are not sunscreen. Example, taking collagen, hyaluronic acid, fish oil, drinking a lot of water, taking in a lot of natural dietary antioxidants, and a whole bunch of things that you can counteract the negative effects on sun for your skin. And that's what I do. And people think that I look a lot younger than I am, even though I never put on sunscreen. So I'm not saying maybe I would have slightly less wrinkles if I wore sunscreen, probably. But I, you, I see everything as a, you know, as a, what are the pros? What are the cons? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the exact same boat. Um, I think time, time and place for sunscreen. Um, if I'm, if I'm ever like prone, I mean, the sun over here though, Joe, like the sun in Australia is super intense. Like, Versus like when I was overseas in Europe, like Italy, Napoli, Rome, like the sun there, it, even on a 40, de- a 40 degree day in London was very weak compared to like a 30 degree day here in Australia. Like I would get burnt very quickly here in Australia. So do you wear sunscreen? Uh, the last time I wore sunscreen would have been seven, eight years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I've worn sunscreen in the past year, I think twice. I poured it, put very little on just to prevent me from getting burned because I was just in a situation where I couldn't wear a T-shirt. I couldn't, you know, different situations, but very, very sparingly. I, yeah. I very sparingly use it. And and yeah. so, t- but you you mentioned you're in Australia and the sun is very strong. How how long? How many hours do you spend outside? Well, I mean, in summer, like I. If I go to the beach, like the main thing is like, if I go to the beach, the one area that I'm trying to protect the most is my head and my face and particularly my forehead. Um, so I'll like, I'll use, like I'll wear a hat or like cover it up with like a t-shirt if I'm lying down. But like, yeah, like you gotta be really careful here. Like particularly, I'm sort of lucky. I'm sort of similar skin complexion as yourself. Like, yeah, we're I'll both olive. Be- yeah, like I'll pretty easily tan. Maybe it's a good idea for me to take dates out in the daytime in the sun because it increases attraction rather oh, than actually, at night. Actually, speaking of attraction, when I was researching the um, the sunlight affecting androsterone, there was a study where they used and I was it was um uh, a, a a pheromone based lipstick for women. Um, and it was like a, it was a lip balm that they could apply to their upper lip. It was a, it was a, it was a study on, um, upper lip administration of androsterone, increasing female libido and mood. And I'm like, I've just thought of the best product idea, like a psychoactive lip lipstick. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. It's not bad. I think, I think the way people are doing it is, is wrong. I, I think I'm going to change my dating strategy. Because basically the way that guys are doing it is they go out at night when there's no light or sun and they're drinking a lot of alcohol. So what are they doing? They're decreasing their testosterone <laughs> with the alcohol. <laughs> they're staying up late. And by the way, I'm guilty of this too. I generally like in the past and I've, I've been trying to stop all alcohol and uh, going out at night because also it's disrupting my circadian rhythm and my sleep. But I think the way, the real way that I'm going to be doing it is going on dates in the day so that my testosterone is increased while I'm outside. I'm getting light. My dopamine is increased and not, and, and there's going to be increased sexual attraction, not only from me, from the girl as well. And then my circadian rhythm is going to be better. I'm going to sleep better and I'm not going to drink alcohol on the date either. So I think the way guys are dating is completely off. I, I restarted some 
uh, consulting to see that, and, and I, I had, you know, and so, and, and I had a thousand clients before, but what was very clear is that I was like, okay, why are you taking this thing? Well, this doctor recommended it. Okay. So you don't really know why you're taking it. No, you're taking about 20 different things here. And how do you feel? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm taking too many things. I don't know what's helping, what's not. And what people are doing is they're doctor shopping. They're going from one doctor to another, or they're block shopping or guru shopping, whatever they're, what kind of shopping they're doing. And they're just incorporating things and they don't know what's helping, what's not. It's very, very unsystematic way of doing it. And what I start doing with my clients now is I tell them, stop everything you're doing one at a time. You need to, like, I put them through my framework. Number one is you need to feel an impact from this. If you can't feel it, it's not for you. Two, there needs, we need to track labs. We need to look at your genetics. We need to have five <laughs> reasons or more that this is why you're taking this so that if somebody asks you why you're taking this in a year, you know exactly why you're taking it. But anyway, that's kind of my framework. I'm, I'm wondering, like, how do you see that uh, framework? Is that something that you also do or? Um, it, it, it sounds um, ironically like basically the same approach as to what I do with, with my clients as well. Like, for example, I'll say, because a number of them will come to me with like a whole spreadsheet of different compounds and, and they literally say, like, I heard, I heard about this on like an ad or, or a YouTube video and I asked them, like, have you, like, have you, do you know, like, why, why are you using it? Like, I don't know, or I, I don't, I don't notice any, any effect. Um, then the step, the most logical approach plus like understanding research and science is then, okay, stop using it. Like, what are the, what's the rationale for, for like, why you're using it? Now, having said that though, there are, there's going to be some supplements where people need to use it, particularly for like, maybe like correcting nutrient deficiencies, like maybe they need zinc if they take zinc in a supplement form, which again, I'd rather them get that through food. But if they do take zinc um, in supplemental form, they may not feel it, but their labs reflect better, a better white cell count or better um, zinc status, you know? So uh, it's been, it's been a pleasure chatting and hopefully we can chat another day as well. I feel like there's a lot we didn't get to and there's a lot of <laughs> questions that I have, but where can people find you? And do you have, you know, if you have anything you want to promote, you're welcome to, you know, yeah. promote it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's um, great chatting. I know we can, we can chat all day, but um, if, if people want to find me, they can just search boost your biology on YouTube. Um, just got tons of free content there. So um, go and subscribe to my YouTube channel, um, boost your biology. Awesome. You're doing very well on YouTube the last time I checked. So that's, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was, it was great talking and we'll be in touch. Sounds good, Joe. Thanks for having me. All right. Take Thanks care, man. Bye-bye. See ya.